0: One of the things an individual would dread the most is that God would somehow turn his face away, but I just want you to know this morning, one of the reasons why we're so grateful is because God desires more than anything to point his face towards you, God loves you, he has an incredible desire to see you succeed in your walk with him and for his life to shine through you. And God wants to bring to you uh, Sozo. He wants to bring salvation. He wants to bring healing. He wants to bring deliverance. And oftentimes connected to that is this issue of gratitude. Being grateful. And so uh, the series title is Growing in Gratitude because as we have said from the outset that gratitude is not our default mode. Our default mode is to grumble and complain And uh, so the title of this message is Choosing Gratitude Over Grumbling. Now, you would think that since we have gotten beyond the political ads on TV due to our election, all the negativity in the world would stop, right? All the negativity in the United States would just come to a screeching halt. But nothing could be further from the truth. We are a nation of complainers. We are one of the most blessed, affluent nations in the world and yet we complain a lot about everything and we're critical a lot and about a lot of things and we complain you know I think it's become an art form for us and some people uh, who are followers of Jesus thinks it's a spiritual gift and I'm assuring you it's not a spiritual gift and so we complain right now about things like the weather it's too hot it's too cold it's too rainy it's too dry and we even complained about the fact the snow is on its way. It and I didn't got here yet, but we're complaining because it's on its way, right? So we complain about a lot of things. Now we are complaining about whether or not you should actually play Christmas music or decorate your house for Christmas because, after all, Thanksgiving has not arrived yet and has not gone by. How many of you think it's okay to decorate and listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving? It just, God just not favor that at all, right? Well, you just calm down, okay? Mary hasn't even told Joseph she's pregnant yet, so it's, it's okay. How many of you would say, I am an above average driver? I'm above average driver. <laughs> I don't think your husband agrees with that. <laughs> you know why we, why we claim to be above average drivers? Because everybody else is an idiot, Right? they're they're stupid they they didn't stop the stop sign they rolled right through it they didn't stop all the way before they turned right on red and they went through that light it wasn't it wasn't even yellow it was dead red and they just went through blew through that stop light and so on and on we go we we love to complain we go to fast food restaurants make our order they say we'll bring it out to you we've waited three and a half minutes and we are livid man where's my food We drive cars, and we drive up to our houses, and we push a button, and we have a garage door that opens, and we drive into this environmentally controlled box on our house, and and then we hit the button again, and the door goes down, and then we complain about how little gas mileage our car is getting at this time, and then we walk into our house, and Uh, We throw our stuff on the floor, and we look into our refrigerator that's just overflowing with food, as well as our pantries, and we say, there is nothing to eat, right? Nothing to eat, and so uh, then we sit down, and we finally figure out what we're going to eat, and we sit down in front of our television sets that now have 560 channels, but there is nothing to watch, and we go to bed, and we get up the next day, and it starts all over again, and we walk into our closet, and we you know, run our hands across all of our clothes and look at all of our shoes and think there is nothing to wear because that's just our default, right? That, that's just the way we are wired. We are wired to be complainers, to be grumbling about something. And so by nature, we're not grateful people. And um, so we have to work at developing gratitude, We have to work at it. It is not something that comes natural. So uh, now this time of the year, because it is, you know, Thanksgiving season, uh, most people say, well, okay, I'm going to be thankful for the next 30 days, right? So we all see the post on Facebook and other Instagram and other places where people are saying, well, for this day, I'm thankful for this and this day, I'm thankful for that. And it's almost like it's an additive. It's an add-on that we do because after all, we should be thankful because Thanksgiving is coming up. But if you look at the scripture, and really our foundational verse is that God says that we are to be thankful in all circumstances, for this is the will of God, that thanksgiving should be, gratitude should be a part of our mindset, 365 days a year, not one month out of the year. But at least one month, we we put some emphasis upon it, and we try to do better than we have in the past, so I want us to um, look at an interesting story that is found in Luke chapter 17. If you want to go ahead and turn there, there's message notes in your bulletin. Uh, You can pull those out. And by the way, if you're a guest with us for the first time, there is a a connection card if you'll take a few moments and uh, fill that out with as much information as you feel comfortable giving us. And you can drop that off at one of the baskets at the exit, and there is a a gift for you, and we're just glad that you're here. And we're uh, going to look at... um, A story in the Gospel of Luke about some lepers. There were 10 of them who had an encounter with Jesus. And as a result of that encounter with Christ, all 10 of them were healed, but only one of them returned back to Jesus to even say thank you uh, for the healing that took place. And uh, so, lepers in uh, Jesus' day and time, if you're not familiar, uh, they were kind of the dregs and the outcasts of society. Uh, because you uh, had this communicable disease or even when the term leprosy is used, sometimes it includes any infectious disease. Uh, But it was very, very... And uh, leprosy was that disease where the body, you know, broke out in the sores and uh, you lost the feeling in your extremities. And and so oftentimes when, you know, lepers, they were forced to live in colonies because the disease was so contagious, there was no known cure in that day and time. And if you were to travel anywhere, you had to stay completely away from humanity. Or if you came across someone, you had to yell unclean so they would know that you were a leprous person for fear of contagion contracting your disease. They were considered unclean. Therefore, uh, they could not go to temple. They could not go to worship. They could not go to a synagogue to worship. They had to huddle in their own colony. Now think about this. You are ostracized from society. You're removed from your family. And so the feeling of a hug, the feeling of the embrace of a loved one is now a distant memory in your mind. And so it was a disease that was greatly feared in that day and time. It had been 700 Years after this point, when Jesus enters on this scene, 700 years since the Bible recorded that anyone had been healed of leprosy, and all the way back in the Old Testament there was a Gentile uh, named Naaman who was healed of leprosy, and so there is no record of anyone being healed from that time until we come to this particular story. Now, in order to be healed, obviously it is a miraculous event, and Leprosy, the healing of leprosy, was considered to be a messianic event. For example, when John the Baptist uh, acknowledged Jesus and he baptized Jesus and he heard, as others did, the voice of the Father saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, and a form of a dove ascended upon uh, Jesus... Uh, it was John the Baptist who was there. He witnessed all of that. And as Jesus began his ministry over time, John was uh, experiencing things and he thought, you know what? Uh, he began to doubt is this truly the Messiah or should we look for someone else? So John sent his disciples to Jesus and asked him that very question Are you the Messiah? or are we to look for someone else? And when Jesus responded to his disciples to bring news back to John the Baptist, one of the things he included in the response was that, listen, I am cleansing the lepers. And so for John, that would seal the deal because only the Messiah had the power to cleanse the lepers. And so uh, as we come to this uh, story, we look in verse 11 of Luke chapter 17. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, as pertaining to law, uh, and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. You want to underline, as they went, then they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. So the inference here is that the other nine were Jewish. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed, and where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now, you'll notice it says that they were crying out to Jesus, have pity on us. It wasn't that they were crying out to Jesus for healing. They were just simply saying, we have a need, and we, Jesus, give us money. Uh, give us some kind of resource in order to, to help us. And, and literally that's what the, the Greek here is saying is like, help me, help me. Um, when in that part of the world, beggars, there were beggars everywhere. And they were always saying, help me, have pity on me, have mercy on me. Because they wanted some kind of monetary, uh, you know, offering that you would give to them in order to help them out in their, in their neediness. And so, uh, this cry for help, for mercy, you know, it's it's not that they're asking Jesus necessarily to fix them, Uh, they are simply asking him to show them kindness. But Jesus goes beyond what they're asking for, right? Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus always brings us his best. Uh, he never like shortchanges us. He knows what our needs are. And if we cry out to him for mercy, if we cry out to him for our needs to be met, Jesus always meets them. And it says, and they went away. When they went away, they were healed. Now, this is a picture of the intersection between faith and obedience, This is very, very important because we get this equation backwards oftentimes. It's a picture of how faith and obedience works. It's not that they were healed and then they went to the priest. That's how it would normally happen. You would receive healing, but in order for you to be declared by the priest to be cleansed and whole, that is to gain entrance back into the temple worship or into a synagogue, you had to be declared by the priest to be healed. And so notice that Jesus didn't heal them and then send them to the priest. He sent them to the priest, and as they were going to the priest, then they experienced their healing. And and so uh, it's a natural tendency for all of us to want to put it in a different order. We would like to say, God, if you will do this, then I will do this. God, if you will do this, then I will do this. Well, that's backwards because God says, do what I say, and then I will do what needs to be done. We want it the other way around, right? When it comes to our money, we're struggling financially, and we say, "God, uh, you know, if you will just like, you know, uh, send in the mail a, a package from a long lost relative, an inheritance, and, and just uh, allow me to, to to feel that financial security." And God, I'm telling you, I will give a tenth of that back to the church. Or as many of us who are Christians say, uh, "Well, you know, Lord, if if I could just win the lottery." God, it'd be great because I'll give 10% of that back to the church, right? So when it comes to finances, what does God say to us? God says, hey, um, I've spelled out in my word what you are to do financially. Now, if you will do that, and wherever you are lacking, I'll fill in the gaps, That's what Jesus said, right? He says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things are creating worry and anxiety and fear and frustration in your life. He says, These things will be added unto you. I will will take care of these things. Uh, every, Every time you step out first and say, Then I will follow, God says, Step out, move forward, step out in faith, I will follow. Do you remember Naaman, the last guy who got healed of leprosy? When the prophet told him to go and wash in the rivers of Jordan, he said, how, how dare you? Why In my homeland, we've got rivers far greater than the river Jordan. I'm not doing that. And it took a little servant girl to beg him, well, what have you got to lose? Now, what if Naaman had said, you know what? I'm not going to wash in the river Jordan, but I'll go to the rivers of my homeland. He would have died a leper. What if he had gone to the river of Jordan and the prophet said, you were to dip seven times. What if after the fifth time he come up and said, this is stupid, this is, this is not working, I'm not going to follow through with this, he would have died a leper. It was only when he did what he was told to do that God brought about the healing. And so all through the Bible, the equation is step forward in obedience by faith, trusting God, and God will always honor your faith step and come through with whatever it is that he's promised you, All right? So here's, here God says, you do what I told you, I'll come through afterwards. Go to the priest. And they could have thought, you know what? I'm not going to the priest. I'm not even been healed yet. He's not going to accept me in there. He's not even going to let me near him because if a leper came in contact with a priest, now the priest is considered unclean and unable to fulfill his priestly duties and therefore would have to go through a very extensive cleansing process. There are all kinds of things that could have ran through their minds that would said to them, do not do what you've been asked to do. But instead, they trusted what Jesus said and they started. And when they started, then... God healed them, but only one came back and expressed any kind of gratitude or thanksgiving for what Jesus had done. Now, notice what it says. Jesus says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. That word well is the word sozo. It is the Greek word salvation, to save, to heal, and to deliver. Not only had God healed his body, Now Jesus brought salvation to his soul because he was willing to step out in faith, to follow what the Lord told him, and then came back with this heart that was filled with gratitude. And here's what I wrote in my notes. Gratitude draws us into close proximity to Jesus in order to receive our healing. You see, many times we put conditions on God. God, you heal me. And I'll be grateful. God, you remove the anxiety and I'll be thankful. God, you do this and then I will do that. And God says, You've got the equation backwards. Come to me in gratitude, come to me in thanksgiving, you'll receive your healing. Even the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4 said, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known before God with thanksgiving, and then, and only then, will the peace of Christ begin to flood your heart, your soul, and your mind that surpasses all human understanding, right? So if I come with thanksgiving, why am I thanking God? I'm not thanking God because I have anxiety. I'm thanking God that he can remove the anxiety because I'm willing to trust in him and follow him in faith, knowing that he is going to... Rip out the anxiety and replace it with the perfect peace of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to thank him ahead of time before it ever happens, and then it will happen. Kind of get the picture? Nod your head. Okay. There we go. So, why is choosing gratitude so important? I want to answer some questions for you. Why is it important? How does this all work out in my life? Uh, what causes. Gratitude to disappear. Why do I struggle with this so much? Why, why do we fight ingratitude so often in our lives? And, and, and why doesn't it just come natural? Well, let me just answer these questions. Number one is why do we choose gratitude? Why is it so important? And here's the first reason is because gratitude fuels your faith. It's gratitude that's going to fuel your faith. Thankful people have an easier time living in faith. Gratitude fuels your faith. I don't know um, about you, but there are oftentimes uh, when there are things going on in my life that you know sh- seek to um, like suck gratitude like right out of me because maybe it's a difficult time in your life, uh, maybe it's an unexpected problem, a setback in your life, and, and we have a very uh, keen t- uh, t- uh, sense of. Um, forgetting. I think back about how God has done it in the past. It fuels my faith that God can do it in the present and in the future. It's no accident that God said to the nation of Israel over and over again, I want you to set up memorial stones. I want you to place holidays in in your pathway throughout the course of the year. I want you to remember I don't want you to forget. I want you to teach your children. I want you to show them how faithful I have been to you and how I have provided for you and how I have guided you and how I have directed you. Why is that so important to God? Because we tend to forget what God's done in the past and start grumbling about what He's not doing in the present and about what we think He's not going to do in the future. When we find ourselves in those situations, when I go back to the past and I, in a heart of gratitude, begin thanking God for all the ways that He he has displayed himself in my life for every provision, for every need that has been met, for everything that God has promised, for everything uh, that God has granted to us through our relationship with Jesus Christ, then it fuels my faith that God's going to be faithful in the present as well as in the future. And so when I step out then in obedience and I spotlight those things that he has built into my life, it builds an attitude of Gratitude. And when I'm on my way to the priest, and it makes no sense to me why he's asking me to do that, I go anyways. And God is always faithful to come through. If I remember how he came through yesterday. A clear, concrete expression of gratitude in your words and your prayers and your comments will fuel your faith. Now, the flip side of that is this. Ingratitude destroys our faith. Just as gratitude and thanksgiving builds us towards a future of winning over our grumbling spirits, uh, ingratitude, it takes that away. In Romans chapter uh, one, if you might want to turn there for just a moment, I I want you to look at just one verse. We're not going to, I'm not going to exegete the entire chapter, but here's what I want you to see is that in Romans chapter one, you have a description of a culture that is on a downward spiral all right? So if you read the entire chapter, first chapter of Romans 1, it's like reading our newspaper or like reading our, you know, listening to the uh, the television newscast uh, as our culture is on a downward spiral, and every culture wrestles against this, okay? So I, I want you to notice uh, where how this all starts, this downward spiral culturally. It says in verse 21 of Romans 1, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They refused to acknowledge God. They refused to give him thanks and therefore, what? They just, with a little bit of education, a little bit of work, we can just like edge God out of everything and say everything is, a, is the result of pure chance. And God says, at that moment, I will begin to give you over to your desires. And God says, I will just step back and let you have what you want. And as I do that, know this, that the culture is never going to spiral upwardly. It's always going to spiral downwardly. It is, listen, ingratitude, watch is the first step that we take in a downward spiral away from God. And ingratitude, because that is our default mechanism, man, we can spiral down real quick. And here's why. I want you to look at some of the reasons why it is so hard to be grateful. There are six, um, what I call, enemies of gratitude. The first one is this. It is comparison. It is comparison. Um, It's amazing how thankful we can be for what we have until somebody else gets more. Now, all of a sudden, we are dissatisfied. Jesus gave a parable about this in Matthew chapter 20. He talked about a landowner that needed some work done, and so he sent his, his uh, supervisor out to find some day laborers. He brings a group of guys back, and he says, listen, we're going to pay you a denarii for working all day. A denarii was the normal daily wage of a worker. Well, they would be thrilled to death because you know day laborers, they would kind of like sit on the corner waiting for those who, who needed their help. So they start working. Well, three hours into this, Um, the owner realizes we're never going to get this all done. So he sends his supervisor back out. He hires some more guys. He brings them. Six hours into this, we're not going to make it. He sends his supervisor back out again. Now with only three hours left, he sends his supervisor, or an hour left, he sends his supervisor out again in order to make sure the work is all done. Now when it comes time to pay at the end of the day, (laughs) the treasurer begins with the guys who've only been there an hour. Right? And so the, what, he gives them a denarii, right? The entire day's wage for one hour's work. Now the guys who were there all day long were thinking to themselves, whoo, Man, we're probably going to get like two, three, maybe even four denarii. And so the guys who've been there three hours, they get a denarii. And the guys who've been there six hours, they get a denarii. And the guys who come up there have been there all day long, they come up, they just get a denarii, and man, they are fed up. They are fired up. Uh, they're going to call their union labor board. Uh, I mean, they're, they're just like, you have shortchanged us. You have cheated us. You, you have, you have tr- treated us unfairly. And then the landowner says, now, wait a minute. What did I agree to pay you, a denarii? Well, it's my money. I can give to whom whatever I desire to give. And the whole point of Jesus' parable is this. We can be really grateful to God for the things that he has given to us until we see somebody else who's gotten more than what we thought we deserved. And then all of a sudden now we're grumbling and we're complaining and we're asking it and we're questioning God. Uh, why is it that, you know, it seems like it works out for them, but it never works out for me. And, you know, I, I, when I first read that passage, I thought, you know, these guys are like really jerks. They're really stupid people. And then I got up and looked in the mirror and I thought, oh, crap. That's me. Right? We've all been there. When I see a, another pastor who makes more money than I do, has a bigger church than I have, I, you know, gets, seems to have more talents and gifts and abilities than I got, and it's like, God, why, 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 why? I spent as much time in school as they did. I worked as hard as they do. I work as many hours a week. As they do. And so when you, start, when you get into that comparison trap, nothing will suck gratitude out of you quicker. We see this in professional sports, don't we? The guy gets a $4 million contract until he finds out somebody got a six million one. Now he's all of a sudden disgruntled, right? It's not fair. I, I, I deserve more. I, I'm worth more. If you in this comparison mode, you will literally destroy yourself because you're going to become very ungrateful and ingratitude is the first step to the downward spiral and it doesn't stop. Here's the second reason why, is that the spirit of entitlement, the spirit of entitlement. We think we are entitled when all we've done is what we are supposed to do, right? So we, we live in a whole society now that, you know, you, you've got to give everybody a happy face. I don't get it. I don't understand. You know what I found out this past week when you voted? They give you a little sticker. You know how much it costs the city for those stickers? They're 10 cents a piece. Most cities have to pay $20,000. That's a small city. Nothing like Columbus have probably spent up to, upwards to maybe $80,000. So we can have a little sticker that says we voted. <laughs> and if that weren't enough, I got to put it on Facebook. <laughs> and see how many likes I get. Because you know, I'm not going to vote unless I get my sticker. So we, you know, we do this with children. We give them participation awards. There's 16 teams in the tournament. Your team comes in dead last, but we get a trophy. We get a participation trophy. Uh, we give out happy faces. You know, school teachers are you know, it's frowned upon for them to use red ink on your papers anymore. When I did my dissertation, it was read by five different professors. One professor reads for grammatical errors. One professor reads for content, and so they each read. You know, they read it. So I, you know, I sent in my, my manuscript. It's two hundred and twenty pages long. I send it in. I'm thinking I'm feeling pretty good about it. I'm thinking, you know, uh, it might get marked up a little bit. I don't know. Uh, we'll see how it goes. It got back. It looked like they bled all over it. Like, Red ink. I was demoralized. And that went back and forth about five times. The verses before the healing of the lepers, if you went up to verse 6 and read down to verse 10, because remember in the original writings there's no, um, you know, there's no uh, verses and chapters. That's a, a man thing to help us out. But here, here's, here's what the story is about. The story is about entitlement. You know, the the, these servants, they go out, they do what they're supposed to do, and when they get home, you know, it's not like the the master of the house says, you know, you've done such a wonderful job. You know, hey, just put your feet up and rest and take it easy. No, they get back and they still have to, you know, they still have to do their servant duties inside the house. And you know, they're the last ones in bed and they're still cleaning up the house and the dishes and everything else. And um, and it's like at the end of the day, it's like, hey, 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 where's my smiley face? To it. I I've gone beyond, above and beyond my call of duty. Therefore, I require some kind of award, right? (laughs) In our day and time, it's hard to get people to even show up at work. Now, those of you who are older, you know what what it was like growing up. I mean, you, you worked, and you worked hard, and... And, man, there was no slacking off. And, and now, if you, you know, if you get people to come to work like a week in a row, it's like it's a miracle. So, so what do we require of God sometimes? God, um, hey, 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 hey. I go to church every week. I read my Bible. I pray. I give. I serve. I do all these things. Hey, 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 God, I'm entitled to some things Here. Why, why, why am I going through this deep, dark valley in my life? And, and why is this happening over here? And why did you let my, my grandmother die? And why did you let this happen? And why? And God, I'm entitled. I'm, I'm, I'm super Christian Greg, right? Listen to our prayers. Sometimes, and we're praying to God, and in essence, we're saying to God, God, I don't deserve this. This is not right. I'm entitled to more. I need more. I deserve more. I've got above and beyond what you've called me to do. And when you feel entitled, you don't feel grateful. If somebody is coming in under the radar of your sense of entitlement, right? Let's say you go to work and you're given a project. And man, you, you just like dive into that thing and you, you, I mean, you knock it out of the park. It, it is a beautiful thing, but yet your supervisors barely even acknowledge you or worse yet, they take credit for your work. What do you do? You see, when somebody treats you like a servant, how you respond says a whole lot more about you than anything else. And sometimes we, we, we come to God that way. Here's a third one, is pride. Pride says, you know, uh, man, I'm just too good to need any help. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not talking about the pride of success. When things don't go well in our lives and we tend to think that we did it ourselves, but in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Uh, God was saying to the children of Israel, you know, he had brought them out of slavery, led by Moses. They'd been in the wilderness for 40 years, wandering around. And so uh, now they... Come to the brink where God is going to take them across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. He does that under the leadership of Joshua, and they secure a lot of the Promised Land that God had promised to them. But here's the words that God sways, and here's what God. Deuteronomy 8, and God God had blessed them in, in miraculous ways. And here's what God says: Be careful that after you build your houses and you plant your crops and things start going well for you, that you do not forget me. Why would they forget him? Because that's what we do. Because after a while, pride says, look at me. I did that. Man, I, I, I've, I've succeeded here. I'm worthy of some praise. I, you know, God gave me some raw resources, but buddy, I built something. And you know what the Bible says to us? You may have worked hard. But everything, every success you have ever had, it's been God-given. Nothing brought this home to me more. You know, I love to play golf. I'm not the best golfer in the world, but I like to play, okay? So oftentimes, I go to the Memorial Tournament here in Columbus where the professionals come and play. And so you might think you're a good golfer until you watch a professional play, and it's like... No, you're not, okay? You stink, right? You're never going to make it on PGA Tour. I remember Ken Venturi, an ex-professional teacher, who said this. He said, the difference between an amateur and a professional golfer is a God-given gift. He said, either you have it or you don't. I can take that God-given gift and I can hone those skills, but if you don't have that God-given gift... You can practice till the cows come home. You ain't never going to make tour. And you never keep your tour card. And so it's just a reminder to us that no matter what success we may experience in life, it is God-given, right? God's the one who gave us the talents, the temperaments, the abilities. God's the one that gave us our minds. And, he, you know, Caleb can play the keyboard. I can't play the keyboard. He, he has a God-given gift. I don't have that gift. He can sing. I can't. Well, maybe you'll let me, right? It's a God-given gift. And any success, you know, God has given me the ability to teach. And though I work at honing my skill and I work hard at trying to be the best communicator I can, it's still, at the end of the day, it's God is the one who gave me the gift of teaching. Just like God gave you gifts, and God gave you natural abilities, and so we have no reason to be prideful about anything, everything ought to come out of a heart of gratitude for what God has given to us. But if I think it's out of my ability is bitterness, and and anything else, then I tend to be ungrateful. Number four is bitterness. Bitterness. Bitterness means that when I am focused on a person who has wronged me, here's the problem about hatred and revenge is because it can never live side by side with gratitude and thankfulness, ever. And so that's why the Bible talks so much about, Jesus talked about it, Paul talked about it, every writer in the New Testament talks so much about forgiveness because bitterness will, will not allow you to build a grateful heart. You know, because now I'm dialed into the person who's hurt me or wronged me, and I feel like, you know, if I let them go, they got away with it, and you, you can't move forward, and, and I'm not going to let it go. Uh, but the, here's the thing, dude, The person who's angry with you or who made you angry or hurt you, they've moved on. <laughs> they didn't care less about what it is doing to you. you. We are killing ourselves with bitterness and letting them live rent-free in our brains. Why would you do that? And so um, bitterness creates a huge vacuum of un- ungratefulness. Number five is disappointment. It means when I'm focused on the problems that God hasn't fixed in my life yet. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things that you and I, that we, we pray and ask God to fix, right? And so, like, Lord, fix this. Please help me with this. And those are all wonderful things. God, you know, it says bring your problems to him and bring your needs and your concerns and all those things. Nothing wrong with that unless... Unless uh, God hasn't fixed it yet, and and so now uh, it's like God, you have got to fix it by this date in this manner, uh, by you know doing this. And th- God, I've got the plan. Get in on it, right? Hurry up and get in on my plan. You think these lepers had a plan about how they're going to receive their healing, and then Jesus comes along, foils their plans, and says, "Hey, hey, hey, go go show yourself to the priest. Are you crazy?" Well, I can't even get near the priest, and what's that going to do for me? He's going to look at me and say, no, you're not clean. Now get back to your colony. I have learned, as probably many of you have, when we surrender our wounds to the Lord and we choose to trust him and to thank him, it begins to release the oppressive heaviness that those wounds have brought into our lives and over time God will take the woundedness and he will make it a platform for ministry but only if I come at it with a grateful heart i'm not grateful that i was wounded i'm not grateful for what happened to me in that yeah oh god you know I, that was so much fun let's do that all over again to bring but it is that, you know, I can allow God through gratefulness to bring healing and hope back into my life so that it becomes the foundation of, 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 and a platform of ministry. And some of the very losses and resentments that I used to have, God used them to bring about rich blessing in my life and then allow that to flow into the lives of others because I allowed God to redeem the hurt and the pain. Number six is short-sightedness which means we, we tend to focus on this life alone and we are blind to eternity. Bad news, we live in a fallen world. Bad news, bad things happen to good people. Bad news, not everything always turns out the way we want it to bad news. There are going to be people who are going to give you pushback. There are going to be people who are going to seek to wound you and to hurt you because they have a free will and they have the freedom to to move in, in that exchange. And so when you open up the very front of the Bible, it says Genesis 1, God made it. Genesis 2, this is how it was supposed to be. Genesis 3, it got all messed up. And Genesis 4, it really is messed up. And the rest of the Bible is about God's plan to fix it all. Be very careful to try and look at God through the lens of your hurt and woundedness because then you limit it to this space and time that we have called life here on planet earth. When you need to look at God through the lens of eternity because God didn't create you for time, he created you for eternity. And everything that God has for us, yes, much of that we can experience in the here and now, but much of what God has for us out in the future in eternity that's going to last for all of eternity, Uh, it is beyond our ability to even begin to comprehend what that's going to be like. And so this life is full of injustice and unfairness and wrong things happen But eternity changes all of that. It's what takes the most damnable and evil day in all of history and turns it into a day that we call Good Friday. It was not a good day on that Friday. Great injustice was done here on this earth. You think you have been stabbed in the back by friends or suffered unjustly for someone else's wrong or endured some kind of physical thing? Excuse me, so did Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus stood in our place and the demons were dancing that day and they danced on top of his grave until 3 days later when he came out of that grave in power and glory and splendor they're not dancing anymore because Jesus union with him that destroyed the works of the devil And that Jesus, because we are in Christ in union with him, that the same power and authority that was in him has now been given to us so that you and I can leverage the power of God against the operation of the evil one now that we are in the kingdom of God as kingdom citizens out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. You and I do not have to allow the devil to dance on our lives. It is only an option that you can make available to yourself but it doesn't have to be that way. God can deliver you from the strongholds that have so encapsulated your life and your thought processes, because he, and he does it through gratitude, he does it through gratefulness, so that we begin to praise our Father, knowing full well that the end has not come yet. I mean, if you want to look at a psalm, look at Psalm 73, there was a man named Asaph, and he was a patriot with King David, and he looked up, and he said, you know what, why are we living let's what? Why are we following God? Why are we living so righteously? It just seems like it's it's for nothing. Everybody around us seems to be prospering beyond us. It just doesn't, it seems to be a waste of time. And he was so depressed and so distraught. It's like, oh, you know, it's just not worth it all. And then all of a sudden, God showed up and took him into a sanctuary and said, oh, my, my, my friend, this is not the end. This is only the beginning. I've got eternity set aside for you. And here's what's going to happen. And Asaph come out of there dancing and rejoicing, filled with gratitude because he refused to put his eyes on the world alone. He put his eyes on eternity, which, by the way, is what the apostle Paul tells us to do in Colossians chapter 3. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. And it breeds gratitude. So I'm going to give you three statements that I think that will help all of us choose gratitude. And I just got a a word to say because I'm out of time. So here's here's what I just want you to think about this because next week we're going to talk about how to develop this gratitude, this this heart of gratitude. Here's the first statement is, I know that every good thing I have from God, every good thing I have comes from God. Every place you succeed, you are succeeding with a gift that God gave to you. And that, my friend, takes pride and entitlement right out of the equation. It's a reversal of that, right? And so when you run through the Bible and you see people who were able to accomplish what they did, it's because God was always the author of what it is they were doing, right? Noah, for example, he's building an ark. Well, how did he have the ability to build an ark? Because God gave him the ability to build an ark. He never built a boat before, and it's out in the middle of the desert. He's not even seen rain yet. He's not seen a flood before, and yet God is the one who gave him everything he needed to accomplish that task over a 120-year span of time. Even though people were laughing at him and mocking him and all these things, God gave him everything he needed to succeed in what he called him to do. I mean, you look at the Israelites, bread from heaven in the morning, fire by night, David. God gave David a stone to kill Goliath. God gave David the ability to take out a giant Philistine with a slingshot and a rock. For crying out loud! And you think your problem's too big for God? I'm telling you, it is not too big from God. For God, if He wants to supply it, He'll supply it. He gave. A young girl named Mary, the faith to say yes and give birth to the Savior of our world, who is the Prince of Peace and the Alpha and and the Omega. And if that weren't enough, God says, I'm going to equip you with everything you need to accomplish every calling I've placed on your life. And his name is the Holy Spirit of God who now indwells you. And your body is a temple of that spirit that enables you to accomplish because God has equipped you with everything you need to Experience salvation, healing, and deliverance. It is yours as an inheritance of your heavenly father through his son Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's time for God's people to start rising up and claiming what is rightfully theirs. You ought to jump on your feet for that one. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Number two, I will not let what I will not let what I want rob me of what I have. Now, there's a very strange verse in Ecclesiastes written by Solomon, better what the eye sees than roving of the appetite. It isn't amazing how discontent we become because we're always wanting more and wanting more and wanting more and wanting more, which means we are ungrateful for what we have. It, Paul says, I learned to be content whether I had much or little because I wasn't, listen, I wasn't focused on what I did not have. I focused on what I had and I was grateful for it. Now, if God adds more to that, hallelujah, bring it on. I'm ready for it, right? But but if, if I live my life always, thinking, you know, I know this is what I have, but man, God, I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I will not be content, I will not be happy, I will not be satisfied until I have it. That breeds ingratitude, and is the first step to a downward spiral in your life that never turns out well. Number three, I will turn every blessing I have into praise. Every blessing I have into praise. Why? Because every time we don't turn blessing back into praise, it turns into pride, which leads to ingratitude, which is my first step away from my heavenly It's about God. His mercies, you know, are new. We know He forgives all my sins. He heals my diseases. He redeems me from death. He crowns me with love and tender mercy. So I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. Just bow your heads, and I want you to thank God today. I want you to thank God today in your heart, in your mind, for the gift of His complete forgiveness. Just voice that to Him right now. God, I just want to thank You for Your gift of complete forgiveness forgiveness. I want to take every blessing. I want to turn it back to praise, right? So as you think about God's blessings on your life, man, turn them back into praise. That's what develops a heart of gratitude. That's what develops an attitude of gratitude. Thank him today. You can call him Abba, Father, because you are a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Today, God, I thank you. We have access to your throne and that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. God, I thank you today that you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son. Thank him, praise him. Thank you, God, today for the gift of fellowship that we have with you and the saints of God. Thank you, God, for your care. The Lord is our shepherd. We have all we want, we have all we need whether it's spiritual needs directional needs emotional needs physical needs eternal needs God it's all wrapped up in the good shepherd I want you to express your gratitude today to your heavenly father for the incredible foundation upon which your life is built Jesus the rock that immovable rock who brings stability into our lives thank God today that you're a part of his eternal plan. Talk to God about your gratitude that he's transforming you from the inside out. And Father, we ask that you would do a healing work in our hearts. God, may you, through your Holy Spirit, begin to transform us to be full of gratitude. That we would be the one who returns to say thank you for all that you've done for us. Not once a year, but every single day of our lives. May we begin our day with grateful hearts. And as we reflect in an attitude of prayer, many of you may say, you know what, I want to be more grateful. The Spirit's convicted me in this area of ingratitude. Here's here's what I know, is that when you humble yourself before the Lord, he cannot resist humility, and he always responds to a humble heart. And know this, your Heavenly Father, he's forgiven. He's just kind of gathering you up in his arms. Now just praise him and thank him and pour out your gratitude towards him. There may be some of you today, you would say, you know what, I need God's love to invade my heart, a love that I do not deserve, but I need it, a love that freely gives, and if you want that love, you, you just say, you know what, I need your forgiveness, Father, I need grace today, I want you just, I want you to trust him and give him your whole life, you know, when you experience the goodness of God's salvation, when you move from guilt to grace, It is then that you cannot help but express gratitude. And if you're willing to say yes to Jesus today by faith, Lord, I want to trust in you. Just pray this prayer back to your heavenly father. Heavenly father, forgive me of all my sins. Make me brand new. I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again so that I could live for you. Now fill me with your spirit so that I can know you and serve you, and follow you. My life is not my own. God, I give it to you. I worship you. I thank you for new life. I thank you now that you have saved me. You have cleansed me. You have wrapped me in the robes of righteousness. I stand before you holy and enveloped in the blessed name of Jesus. For it's in His name I pray and I ask all these things. And maybe you're here this morning and you look at this list of six enemies of grat- ingratitude and you, you know, got the Spirit just kind of like honed in on one of those. Can I just encourage you before you leave here today? Man, let's just come to the altar. Some of you need to be saved and you just prayed that prayer and you receive Christ in your life. Come to the altar and let's celebrate together. Some of you need to be healed, whether it be physically or emotionally or spiritually. Come to the altar. It's where grace and mercy is found. Some of you need deliverance. There is a presence upon you that you cannot pray it out. You can't take enough pills. You can't counsel it out. Jesus says it has to be cast out. how That dramatically changed his life. Come to the altar. When we humble ourselves and we come to the altar and we bow our knee before our Father, he says, if you come near to me, I will come near to you. And I will bring to bear upon your life the power of of the gospel of Jesus Christ to save, to heal, and to deliver. So, Father, I pray that, Lord, we will respond now to the presence of the Holy Spirit as he speaks and directs us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.
1: Spawn
0: much like Jesus that every day when our feet hit the floor that Satan says oh crap they're up again right uh, and I pray that demons come and dance on my grave because I know that when Jesus comes back he's pulling that old body out of the grave and give me a new one amen and nothing going to stop that listen Satan has no more power in your life than what you give him you're a child of the king we need to live as such and, uh, and to share that love and that, that glory that we have through Christ with others around us. So I pray that this week uh, that you will um, just show somebody some love. Show them some gratitude. Write a note. Make a phone call. And before you leave today, we've got a gratitude wall. There are post-its over there. Man, put something on that wall. We want to fill it up. Because we're not going to fill that wall up just for Thanksgiving, right? We're going to keep that wall going and going because we want to develop what? A lifestyle of gratitude, and that doesn't happen overnight. But it's beginning, and we're going to continue it on. So I pray that you have the greatest week, and that the Lord is just shining his face all over you this week, and we'll see you back next Sunday.
1: stood on this day the night after